When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. Laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hi, everybody. This is the Cricket Badger podcast. Each badger marks the track with its own scent. His black legs are short but very powerful for digging. The name badger probably comes from the French word bêche, meaning digger. Hi everybody, welcome along to another edition of the Cricket Badger Podcast. It's James, as always, taking you through the show today. I've got a very special guest, more of that in just a second. But first of all, as you know, we've been dedicating the various podcasts to various people affected by the COVID-19 crisis at the moment. Hopefully these podcasts are going some way towards making filling your days and making you feel a little bit more happy with life. But my daughter is a nurse. She's a student nurse in a hospital in Huddersfield at the moment. I know what she's going through. Half of me is very, very proud of it. The other half of me wants to just whip her up and take her out of all of that as well. But plenty of you out there are in similar situations, know somebody who is working on the front line. This edition of the podcast is dedicated to everybody out there who's putting themselves at risk for the sake of other people. Also, thank you very much to our sponsors at TV Sports Blog on Twitter, tvsportsblog.com. If you want to go along to their website, very, very good site indeed. Would recommend it. Give them a follow on Twitter, please, at TV Sports Blog. But without further ado, guest on this week's Cricket Badger podcast is Gary Balance, the Yorkshire and England batsman. You'll know if you follow me on at cricket underscore badger. I'm a massive fan of Gary's. You'll have also seen there's been a couple of editions now, but the first edition of the Pinch Hitter magazine, the new edition from the uh, makers of the Wisdom Cricketer Monthly, been set up to try and give freelancers like myself some capacity to earn a little bit of money by writing some decent content for them. And you'll have seen in the first edition, I did a piece off the back of this interview with Gary Balance on Gary's England career. This edition of the Cricket Badger podcast contains that, and it also contains much more besides. He takes on the Cricket Badger 20 questions. But please support that Pinch Hitter magazine. Donate what you can. It's one of those where it's free to read it. It's free to enjoy the content in there, written by many fine cricket writers in this country. They were all struggling at the moment because there isn't any money out there to be made largely because there's no live sport and no cricket previews, no match reports, nothing to write about. It's a Donate What You Can magazine and all of those funds go back into creating further editions of the Pinch It magazine. If you have a look at it, it's a really good read as well. So please support that if you can. But without further ado, let's get on to my chat with Gary Balance this week. It's a really interesting chat. He's a cracking lad, a really good player, misunderstood, I think, by many. I try... Honestly, I try to play the devil's advocate at times, but I am a, a pretty big fan of his. But I think you'll find it's a very interesting chat. On this week's Cricket Badger podcast, I give you Gary Balance. It's that Badger style. Gary, how are you? I'm good, thanks, James. Thanks for having me. It's a, it's a pleasure to have you on. And I was just telling you before we press record that the Cricket Badgers out there know that I'm a big fan of yours. Every time there's an England team 
and being speculated about. You're the one that I'm, I'm sort of rooting for. And therefore, I'm going to have to try and be a little bit more objective today and, and give you a hard time. Not, not that hard, but I'll give you a, try and give you a hard time as possible because they're going to expect me to uh, soft soap you and tell everybody how, how marvellous you are. So if you're okay with those rules... <laughs> Yes, that's fine. I'm, I'm pretty much used to all of it now, so I'm sure I'll be fine. Let's start off with question number one then. If it hadn't been cricket, Gary Balance, what would you have done with your life? Oh, um, a lot of people have asked me that, and I, I'm always stumped on what I do. Um, I'd probably end up working for my dad or working for my brothers on a farm somewhere in Zimbabwe. Uh, I don't think I'd be any good at it, but um, that's probably the only option I'd, I'd have because with, with no university qualifications, <laughs> I'd be struggling to do anything else, I think. What age were you when you first thought I could make a living out of wafting this cricket about around and hitting a cricket ball? You know, I've, I've always, as a, even growing up as, as a kid in Zimbabwe, I, we were fortunate enough to, to have a, a, net, a cricket net in our garden, so I was always in the net with my brothers and my dad. So I always kind of dreamt of, of wanting to be a professional cricketer, but I probably didn't think it was actually going to happen until I was probably 17, 18 years old when I, when I moved over to England and had the opportunity to, to play at Derby. And then I kind of thought, oh, do you know what, maybe I can... You know, maybe I've got a I've got a chance here. So uh, that was probably the first time I I, I genuinely thought that I, I had a chance of of making it a, as a career. And was it cricket that brought you from Zimbabwe to England? Yeah, it was main, mainly cricket. Like, like I just mentioned, uh, I had an opportunity in in Derby to to go and play some club cricket there, and then um, I had a chance to to finish my schooling in in London. Uh, two years of school in London. So, but it, it, it was mainly cricket. I think it was more to to keep my parents happy that I, I finished my schooling. But yeah, cricket was the was the main reason that I, I came over. And um, you know, fortunately, had a had a great opportunity in in, uh, in Derby to to play a couple of good clubs and then to to play in the second team there. I don't know if you remember the day that you first came to Headingley to have a look around, but Stuart Regan, who was the chief executive there. Said, James, do you want to join us as we walk around? And there was me, you, and Stuart walking around the indoor school and various other places, showing you were around the club. Why, why did you move from Derby to to Yorkshire? I mean, I, I know the answer because Yorkshire is obviously a better club. But the, uh, was, that, was that the reason in your head? Yeah, I guess so. You know, I, I do remember. I remember it quite clearly. Been been shown around Headingley. I was only 18, and um, you know, I'd never been there before. I'd I'd never played or you know watched a game there. So it was it was a great experience being able to go around the. Um, the stadium yeah I guess you know the opportunity and to kind of sign a contract for Yorkshire was impossible to turn down really you know I had a, um, a good two years at Derby you know and they I appreciate everything they did for me but I think like you say when when you get an opportunity to to sign for a, a club as big as Yorkshire it was near and impossible for me for me to say no I'm going to do a bit of quick backtracking, by the way. Um, I, I know a few people at Derbyshire, so uh, when I say it's a, be- a better club, you know where I'm coming from. Um, I've got a big admiration for Derbyshire. It's a very good club. The biggest influence on your cricket career, Gary Balance? I think we'll probably, probably have two people here. Firstly, my, my dad, you know, he, he, was, uh, you know, he played a, a decent standard of cricket, but he was the one always to... To throw to me in the net in the, in the in the back garden, you know, he was never never one to be critical at all. He just he just wanted to me wanted me to enjoy playing the game, and you know, he would he would throw till his his arm was falling off, and then he'd throw to my brothers after that. So yeah, he was a, he was a massive influence on on my child and and falling in love with the game. You know, when I moved over to England, Dave Houghton, obviously he was from Zimbabwe and he was coaching Derbyshire at the time, and you know, just being able to to kind of learn from him he's a he's a fantastic coach you know the, the advice he gave me as a kind of young lad coming through at Derbyshire was was something that I've kind of held on to for all my career and and he's been a massive influence and, and even now if I'm you know going through a bad patch or or need any advice I'm you know straight on the phone to him and, and he's always willing to help me out. It was always reported when you when you first came over to England that Dave Houghton was your uncle but he's, he's an uncle as a friend of the family rather than by blood relative isn't he? Well, it's it's just easy to say uncle, but it's, his wife is my dad's kind of second cousin, I think, his first or second cousin. So it's it's no actual blood relation, but um, I think it was just easier to say uncle. And but yeah, he I didn't I didn't know him before before I moved over to Derby, and you know, like I said before, he just he he found me a club, um, Spondon in, in Derby, and and then whenever 
kind of derby seconds, needed a, someone to sub into the field or carry some drinks, um, he let me go in and, and kind of that's how I made my way, really. What's been your best moment in cricket? If I could take you back to any day in your career and you could relive it again just to experience what it felt like a, a second time, where would you take me? I think it would have to be my first Test 100 at Lords. You know, that, that feeling, you know, reaching the milestone in the last over of the day against Sri Lanka. Uh, yeah, you just, I just, I don't have a, a better feeling in, in cricket than that. It was, it really was, I can't describe how, how brilliant it was. Um, it was just a unbelievable feeling. And, you know, having my family over from Zimbabwe there at the time, uh, just doing it in the last over, like I said, with only a couple of balls left before the end of play and knowing that we were going to declare the next day. Yeah, it, it, it really doesn't beat that. And I've, I've, watched, I've watched the highlights back a couple of times and it, it does bring back fond memories. It's, it's, it was one of the, the best, well, the best days of my, of my career. And that was only your second Test match because you'd made your debuts the previous winter in that last Test match against Australia. It wasn't the, the happiest of tours, that. But then you, you came into the team against Sri Lanka. You had that century, and then obviously um, you scored centuries against India as well. So the start of your Test career was was pretty decent, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. Um, you know, I probably, well, I couldn't have I couldn't have started my career any better than I did. Well, my Test career anyway. Some people have said to me it's it's probably wasn't actually a good thing because because I did start well you know it was only downhill from there really and but yeah that that summer was again one of the one of the best summers of my career you know I, I played I think we played seven test matches got a few few hundreds we, we had an unbelievable series win against India and then come at the back end of the summer we um, I won the championship with Yorkshire so that year 2014 was again one of my, my favorite years in cricket and you never forget some of the games we played and some of the experiences we had there were you know, really were, you know, best times in my career, really. I mean, just going, going through that list, from, from the day you scored that century that you mentioned against Sri Lanka, the, your next scores were 74. We'll forget the zero that happened in the, uh, the, that happened in the second innings. 71, 110, um, 156 in the next test match. Then you scored a half century, a couple of test matches after that. 122, 81, out 77. You were banging in the 50s and the, and the centuries in that, that early part of your career. I, I always used to think, Gary, when... I mean, obviously, I've seen you play since you were, you were you first came to Yorkshire as a youngster, and you you were batting for Yorkshire, at kind of five in the order of, of, in that region, and then you got your chance for England, and nobody's ever going to turn down a chance to play international cricket, but they wanted you to play at number three, didn't they? I, I, you, I, I always thought that you scored those runs despite batting at number three, but be, not because number three was your right position. What was your thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, I was never a number three for Yorkshire before then. I was always a middle order, like I say. Five, four, five, or six, um, and I, I love batting there. It was a kind of an unknown position for me coming batting that high in the order. Yeah, you know, we had we had um, Ian Bowley was obviously a, who played near on 100 tests back then, and and he was a, a brilliant number four for England. So um, he wasn't going to go anywhere. And, and Ren Rooty was at number five. So the only position really was was to bat at number three, and, and Peter Moore's asked me if I'd like to do it and you know like you said I wasn't going to say no and I you know took it took it and said yeah I'll go for it and uh, it was quite new but but like but luckily starting well gave me some confidence and and gave me a belief that I that I could score runs at that position which was obviously a massive a massive um, confidence booster the next question is the the other side of the coin if if I could take you back to a, a day in your career that you wouldn't want to relive again and a bad day in cricket. Where would you where would you try and avoid? What day would you try and steer me away from? Oh, I think the the whole experience of the 2015 World Cup was was tough. Um, you know, going into that into the tournament, I'd I'd had a broken finger for a month leading up to it, and then kind of was fit a week before we had we had that that first game. And I think I'd, I'd played one innings, I'd had a few net sessions, and you know, obviously getting picked to play the first game was a oh, it was a, a proud moment. Um, against Australia at the MCG, that game didn't go well. But I think the worst one was was the second game against New Zealand. Playing New Zealand in Wellington, uh, obviously a packed crowd, and they were playing some good cricket. And we got bowled out for about a hundred, and they knocked it off in about ten overs. Finished the game just after lunchtime, and you know, walking off the field there was very embarrassing. You know, I remember getting abused by a lot of English fans. Well, all the New Zealand fans, but even some English fans were getting stuck into us. Oh, it was. It was yeah one of the one of the worst days I've, I've had in cricket. Well, the worst day I've had in cricket, and um, you know it was it was tough to to bounce back from that. 
The Cricket Budget Podcast is brought to you in association with tvsportsblog.com. Give them a follow on Twitter at tvsportsblog. Excellent sporting content. It's well worth a look. And give them a follow on Twitter at tvsportsblog. I've asked you this, I think it was at Presto, wasn't it, ahead of the Yorkshire season last year. I was asking you about what it's, what it's like to play for England when things aren't going quite to plan. And everybody's sort of you know, sky dissecting your technique and social media's full of people saying, well, he should play and he shouldn't. That must be really tough to get, kind of get that. After having a positive experience, like you say, you start off so well, it's only downhill from there. But your, your sort of descent was clouded, I always thought, by people being highly critical of you. I think that the World Cup, for me, had a massive impact on, on my test career. I thought this anyway, you know, not, not just... Not for me, but I felt like people had a different um, opinion of me after that World Cup. And like you say, I had a four, four bad games there and then got left out. And then, you know, it was quite hard to come back from that. You know, I think as, as a player, you know, listening to, you know, you're going to get critics, you know, from everywhere. And, and rightly so, it's international cricket. But I think, you, you know, when, as, as a player, when, when people are talking about getting dropped and you shouldn't be playing the next game, it's quite difficult because you, you never want to be playing for your place. You always want to play knowing that you, you've got a few games to play, um, knowing that you've got the confidence, um, obviously, from the coaches and the captain. Um, but when you're always playing for your place, generally, you're not going to get the best out of a player. And I think that's what, I guess, social media and, you know, watching on, on Sky can, can get out is they're always talking about he's going to be dropped for the next game. You need someone to someone else to come in. So it, it does kind of create that you need to score runs to play the next game, which I've always disagreed with. But it is what it is. And, and that's about dealing with the pressure. And, and you know, I've, I had a few bad games. And after those few bad games, I got dropped. And, you know, I, I found it very difficult to deal with that because it's you know it's obviously playing for your country and and getting dropped is a it's a massive dent in your confidence is that because you because you know that maybe the tide's turning a little bit and people are being a bit more negative that you you start to play that way as a, as a cricketer you, rather than going out there full of confidence and, and smacking the ball about you, you start to try and figure out ways of not getting out and that's you know playing within yourself is not a healthy way of, of doing it is it yeah i, I guess that, that can happen you know um I don't think that happened with me, especially that my first kind of stint in test cricket. You know, I felt pretty confident. I had, mm. a, I had a bad two games against New Zealand, but then played the Ashes and then I scored one, oh, played one of the best innings of my life. I only got 60-odd, but I felt really good. You know, got a few 20s in the second test and then got dropped and I, I, was, oh, I was completely shocked. You know, I got, I remember the, the phone call and it was, you know, it was a very tough thing to take. And, um, you know, it really... I think it set me back a couple of years in, in my career and it took me a long time to, to deal with it and, and to try and get back to where, to where I could be. When you look back at that 2015 Ashes summer, um, I'm not doing very well at being the, uh, the devil's advocate here because I'm being very supportive, but the, uh, that 61 that you scored at, Car- at Cardiff against Australia possibly wasn't your most fluent innings, but you dug in and you really kind of battled for that 61 and it ended up being quite an important part of that test match. If you actually look at the kind of narrative of that text, without that 61, England would have been really struggling and I think sometimes people kind of ignore that, don't they? You, you know, you, you maybe yeah. need to get the three figures to get the headlines, but that 61 was an important mark and you were, you were dropped only a, a test match later. Yeah, you know, I'd probably say it's one of my best innings I've ever ever played in my career, considering everything that's going on, you know, first day of an Ashes series. So like I say, to get left out was, was tough to take, and it, it took me a long time to, to kind of deal with that. But, um, you know, it's, it's professional and international sport, and, and you've got to be mentally strong enough to, to deal with those to deal with those situations. So when that phone call comes, somebody phones you up and says, Gary, we're going to drop you. Is there any, any kind of softening of the blow? Is it kind of go back to Yorkshire, score a load of runs and we'll reconsider? Or how do they kind of leave it in that sort of situation? Yeah, I mean, I've got a few phone calls from selectors and coaches and a lot of people telling me what I needed to do, uh, what, what kind of what I needed to do to get better. And yeah, you, you've, you've just got to take it on the chin and know that go back to Yorkshire and, and try and try and score as many runs as you can and, and hopefully get, get back on the side. But yeah, even going back to Yorkshire, you know, you, you kind of, you're a bit insecure about everything because you know um, how much criticism you're getting from, you know, all the, the television, from social media. Um, so it does take a bit of time to get over it. Like I say, it took me a, took me a bit of time to 
to get used to that and to kind of get back to, to where I wanted to be. You came up to Yorkshire, you scored hundreds, you, you started to be talked about again and then you, you got a second opportunity with England and it was almost almost a, a year to the day after you were you played that previous test match that you came back into the side the following summer. You didn't have quite the same start to that second incarnation as you did to the first one, did you? Whenever I, I mention you, um, I'm, and I know you're not on Twitter and I would imagine this is the reason, if I mention Gary Balance as a potential England candidate, people say, well, his feet don't move. Has he, ever, has he changed his technique? What's he done to, to make it better? And that seemed to be a kind of consistent thread that I saw of people's comments on you in that second time around. People just were almost dismissing you as somebody that, oh, he doesn't move his feet. He's going to get found out. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's such a tough balance. You know, you, you want to, and I did, I, I made small, well, not small, but I made some technique changes to try and, you know, kind of get bigger strides and but. A lot of the thing with you getting a bigger stride, it's, it's, it's more about kind of your weight and not the stride. And every time I got a bigger stride and my weight was back and I ended up nicking off a lot and I wasn't scoring any runs. So I thought, well, it's kind of, you've got you to find a balance of always looking to get better, but also kind of being true to yourself and, and trying, to, you know, trying to play to, to, to my strengths as well as trying to improve at the same time. So I think once I found that balance, you know, I was able to be more consistent have a long, a longer period of time, and you know it's quite hard when you, you know, how how do you do it? Do you do you go back to county cricket and, and try and score as many runs as you can to hopefully get picked, or you know come with a completely different technique and score no runs in county cricket and then still not get picked? So it is it is a, it's a it's a fine balance. You know I've never been comfortable with you know just being average. I've always looked at getting better, even when I was playing for him and doing well. I always thought you know I need a, I need to find ways of getting better here. So. I've done that my whole career, and you know, even now I'm still trying to get better, um, trying to adjust my technique so that I, I can be better against certain types of bowlers. And until I retire, until I retire, I'll, I'll always be doing that. I always think about Marcus Triscothic when people talk about you. He's a left-hander, massively successful, scored loads of runs at county cricket. Was a very successful England opener as well in, in all forms of the game. And his feet hardly hardly move at all. If you watch Marcus Triscothic in full flow, his feet hardly move at all. But it's all about confidence. He's, he knows where his, his stumps are, he knows where his bat is, and he knows how to get the ball onto the middle of it. And I always used to think with y- yourself that you played better when you were you were feeling part of a team and you were you were confident, as people tend to do. It's only natural, isn't it? And as somebody who was maybe feeling under the microscope a little bit and feeling a little bit threatened in that team environment, you maybe didn't play quite as well. Yeah. I mean that's that's quite a good way of putting it. You know, I think that's a bit being a bit nice there, James, comparing me to Marcus Triscothic. <laughs> but he, obviously he's one of England England's best. He's been successful for so long. But in terms of being part of a team, I've I've always needed that. I've always wanted to be part of a team and, and felt felt comfortable in a team. And, and once I do that, that's when I genuinely perform perform my best. And in those few years of England, that's when I when I felt really part of the team. You know, fitting well. You know. Brett Peter Moore was his coach, and, and he was—he really made me feel part of the group. And, and yeah, that's when you get the best. I felt like I got the best out of myself. And um, yeah, it's, it's when you, like I've said before, if you if you're always playing to your place and you don't feel part of it, it's generally you, you're not gonna you're not gonna get the best out of the player. So it's it's a fine balance. You know, it's one that I, I think it's important to to get the best out of players. You lost four scores in that second incarnation: one, nine, nine, and five. That was uh, finishing up in Bangladesh. I would imagine after scoring that and probably reading some of the newspapers, because it's hard to avoid that. I, I, I ne- you could tell me that you ignore all the comments and stuff, but I, I don't believe anybody that ever says that because they filter through at some stage. You must have been yeah. the worst after that Bangladesh trip. Yeah, that was tough. I, I remember going to Bangladesh, it was about end of October, and I, I've never hit so many balls in my whole career before when on that tour and just sitting on Merlin, and I felt so confident and good going into the into the series. And then... We had a warm-up game against a couple of um, Bangladesh select teams. I, I remember that they didn't play one spinner. They just bowled about seven medium paces. We didn't get to face any local spinners before the first test. And in the first test, they opened with two spinners, I think it was. And the ball was either skidding straight on or, or spinning a couple of yards. So it was. I've never batted in conditions so tough in my whole career. And even Alistair Cook, who's one of the best players of spin around, said that's one of the hardest he's ever played. And, and I think after those, two test matches it was probably the right thing just to say right Gary have a break we're off to India now you can carry some drinks for a few months and just get away from it for a bit but yes that, that was tough and, and you know, even 
going to India after that and seeing how hard it was there, it's one of the hardest places to tour the subcontinent, and especially recently, just because how favourable the pitches have got for spin, not just from day three, four and five, but from ball one of the first test match. India's coming up on England's radar again next winter. You have coronavirus depending, if that's hopefully cleared up by then. People say, well, we don't face quality spin in this country. People aren't practiced against it. But it's a different kind of spin, isn't it? You go to the subcontinent, if it's turning square or, like you say, coming, coming onto the bat like, like it can do on, in Bangladesh and India, that's a totally different challenge, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, I, I can't describe how tough the conditions in, the, in those test matches in Bangladesh were. Like you say, you just don't get to face that um, over here. You, you might get, get it on a, a day four, but still, it's, if it is, it's generally a consistent turn or consistent bounce. But over there, it, was, it, was, it really was difficult. And um, there's nothing you can do to kind of replicate that. You know, people will say, well, you need to go out and, and prepare. But, you know, we did. We went out there prepared. We faced loads of owl spinners um, leading up to the test series, but then you play against the, in the warm-up games, and they don't bowl any spin; they just bowl seamers. So it is—it's it, tough tour in those those countries, and it's like that when when India and the subcontinent teams comes over here, they don't face the demon and swinging ball like like we do. So that's why they find it so tough. Going on, I, I didn't intend to go through your test career what, match by match, but we almost have done, so we might as well finish off. In the 2017 summer, um, you came back into the side. I mean, what, what, what seemed to be the kind of the pattern back then was you, you came into England, ended up getting dropped, went back to Yorkshire, scored a, a shed load of runs, got picked again by England, got dropped, went back to Yorkshire, scored a shed load of runs, and you did the same again in 2017. They turned to you against South Africa, scored a 20-34, 20, 27 and 4. And that's the last time you wore an England shirt in a test match. Is um, that's actually quite a long time ago? That's, that's uh, three years ago, isn't it? It was three summers ago, and again, you know that South Africa game in the first the first test match against yes, uh, Africa at Lords was another wicket that I don't think Lords has ever seen before. I think if you go and look at the highlights, that's the second innings I got. I don't know if about 30 or again, one of my better innings I think I've ever played. But I remember that personally, but people won't think of that at all as an innings. They'll just think, oh, he hasn't got 100 here, so he doesn't get one in the next few games, he's going to get left out. And then, obviously, the test match after that, I, I broke my finger. In the second innings of the second test match, I broke my finger. Yeah, I haven't played since. So, But yeah, that's just guess how it goes. And, you know, I feel at least fortunate enough that I've played, that I've played test, test matches for England at least. Let me fire some of the things. I, like I say, when I, I promote you as a potential test match player again, I get kind of criticism to me, and I imagine this is why you're not on Twitter, because you'd probably just get the same. But the people say to me, well, he's never changed his technique. He's never learned. He's just a walking LBW against a fast bowler. Why, why would we pick him again? What, what would be your response to that? Um, well, I have got LBW a few times, but... I think when I did get RBW, it was it was when I wasn't actually batting well, when I was going through a bad patch. I got out a couple of times, but generally when I've been at my best and 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 in good form, you know, I don't really get out RBW that much. So it's, it is a weird one. But I mean, there's there's a lot of things I could say to that. But um, you know, <laughs> how many? There's not many people who I feel like you know I was a bit tough kid I got dropped when I was averaging 47 in test cricket I think I'm still averaging late 30s and there's there's not many people nowadays who consistently average late 30s in the 40s really so yeah people you're always going to get criticized whatever so I've just like I say just take it on the chin and go and score what I can for Yorkshire if I get to play for England again great if I don't then uh, I think I'll be all right As you know, on the at cricket underscore badger Twitter feed, we've been looking for the hashtag goat cricketer, the greatest test match cricketer of all time. We've done the England vote. Congratulations to Sir Ian Botham. We've done the India vote. Congratulations to the little master, Sachin Tendulkar. And we're now turning our attention to the West Indies. Who is the greatest test player of all time to wear the maroon cap? Follow the Cricket Badger on Twitter at cricket underscore badger. Have your say, discuss the issues and have your vote as we find who is the greatest West Indian Test cricketer of all time. The top four in each of the votes will also go through to the final, the world's greatest ever Test match cricketer. So second, third and fourth place matter too. Who is the greatest West Indian Test cricketer of all time? 
hashtag Goat Cricketer on Twitter. Follow at Cricket underscore Badger to have your say and have your vote. I mean, I was going to come back with with the kind of flip side of that, and, and my my kind of response to that would be, well, the guy averages thirty seven point something. His average at the start of his career was huge. His first class record is as good as anybody's on the county scene at the moment. He's had three goes with England. Yeah, he's got dropped a couple of times because he wasn't quite scoring the runs. But he's now thirty years old. He's obviously learnt a lot in that time. He knows his game probably now better than he did when he first got picked by England. So surely he's worth another shot. Yeah, I mean, look, I'd love to, but it, but again, you you also got to. It's also about timing, I guess. And and you look at the the players coming through now with England, and you've got some of the best, I think, young players playing that we've had for years. Hopefully, those young lads get a, a good go. You know, at some point they're gonna they're gonna go through a rough patch. That's just part and parcel of of batting. And hopefully, when they do go through that bad patch, they don't just get left out and say, right, you're dropped. Go and score runs county cricket. Because sometimes. It, it doesn't make a player better doing that. Sometimes you've got to let them get through the tough times in test cricket. And when they do get through those tough times, they'll come out even better for them on the other end. Um, I was going to ask so, you that, Gary, because one, one of my questions was going to be, if you, if you have a sit-down with somebody like Ollie Pope or Dom Sibley or one of the guys that are current incumbents with an England shirt, having kind of experienced what you've, you've experienced, what advice would you pass to them? I would, I would firstly not give advice to coach or I'd say I'd, I'd say when they do go through a rough patch it's just to, to back themselves as, as 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 much as they can I think that's so important in this to succeed at, at um, international level is have that that self-confidence not necessarily arrogance but a, a self-confidence and stubbornness that even when you do go through a bad patch that you're good enough to get out the other side I think that's what I used to have that and I've got it back now, but I went through a patch of, of not having that and I started doubting myself because of all the negative criticism you get and, and it is hard to deal with, but if the best players have been very stubborn, um, always look to improve and you know, have come out of it the other side. Uh, you can just look at someone like Alistair Cook and Joe Root, England's two finest players over the last quite many years and they have that stubbornness where they'll take all the criticism, but they'll always have that belief that they are good enough to, to um, get out the other end. I always think when you look at somebody like Steve Smith, who's got the most quirky technique and fidgety, and he's got, got kind of... I was talking to Kevin Sharp, actually. I'd done a little podcast recording with, with Kev, and we were talking about Steve Smith. And I said to Kev, yeah, as, a, as a player like him, who is about as totally against the kind of coaching book... Um, I mean, if he went through a bad run of form, you could understand Twitter just getting ablaze with him because he, t- he looks like he's doing everything wrong. But when he actually hits the ball, he's got everything right. It, it must take quite a lot of um, gumption as a player to just kind of turn around to a coach and say, no, I'm sticking to this. This is how I do it. I'm, I'm sticking to this. You'd have thought at times when he was kind of 14 years old or something, somebody would have said to me, right, we need to get you more side on. We need to get you stiller. But he's obviously stuck to his yeah. guns. I think that's a, that's a great thing about batting is, is everyone is so individual. You know, there's not one technique that's exactly the same. It, it would be boring if it was. And, and the thing about Steve Smith is he, he knows his game so well. When the ball's released, his head is so still. And what he tries to do, and I've tried to do this, is limit his ways of kind of his dismissals, his ways of getting out. There's not many ways he, he gets out. If you ball straight at him, he's not going to miss it. But it's, it's a small amount of dismissals of, or small amount of ways of, of how he can get out. And I guess as a batter, it's about finding ways of not getting out and scoring score runs at the same time. Sounds simple, but that's what he does very well, and, and that's why he's so successful. Let's move on to a different question. Who was your cricket hero when you were young? Was there a poster boy on the wall that young Gary Balance looked up to and thought, I want to be him? I think Andy Flower. Obviously, like I've mentioned, growing up in Zim, and he was Zimbabwe captain. Uh, he was prolific run scorer in, in all formats, and, and he was... Definitely someone I looked up to and, and just watching him was great watching him. He had a, had a bit of a different technique as well, but he, he just had the ability just to score runs very consistently and he was a you know, great role model to try and emulate. I had Henry Alonga on the podcast, Gary, a, a couple of months ago and he obviously talked about that black arm, armband protest back in the World Cup and he, he was fascinating ch- chatting to Henry, but he's got a, 
Um, a lot of admiration for Andy Flower as well. Two very different people, but uh, two important people in, in Zimbabwean cricket. Just, just, um, just on, on Zimbabwe, I mean, I, I, I see quite a few comments from you know, a lot of uh, Zimbabwe fans, cricket fans over there, kind of say, when your name's mentioned, oh, they should come back and play for us. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's not going to happen. <laughs> uh, <laughs> that's not, that's not on the calendar. No, 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 definitely not. You know, I've, I've obviously played a lot of cricket out there and I've, I've got some friends, got some good friends who, who play, who play for Zimbabwe. You know, I, I made that decision to move over here when I was 16 and, you know, it was the best decision I've ever made. And, you know, I'm not going to suddenly turn around and go and live and play in Zimbabwe. That's, that's for sure. I, I love it over here. I love, you know, wife's from over here. I, I love Yorkshire. And hopefully I can I can finish my, my career at Yorkshire, that's for sure. Those two winters you had in Zimbabwe when, when Jason Gillespie was coach, was it? Um, yeah. What's the name of the team? West Rhinos. That's right. Yeah, you had two cracking winters, didn't you, where you were smashing centuries left, right and centre. That seemed to do your game a world of good at the time. Yeah, it did. It was it was fortunate that I, I got, a, got over and, and could play as an overseas player there. There was, I think... Each team had, had three or four overseas players, and the standard was really good. And it was it was just what I needed: go and play and, and have a bit of responsibility. It helped my game massively, like you said. Uh, got got to bat a lot uh, and scored some important runs, and, and definitely gave me loads of confidence, knowing that I could could do it at first class level, and and give me that confidence that I could continue doing it over here. So, and obviously working with with Jason Gillespie, who ended up coming to Yorkshire, was was brilliant. He's a fantastic coach and and one of the one of the best blokes around. You made my job quite boring that winter, to be honest. I was working at the club at the time, doing the website, and I was trying to do a winter watch on Gary Balance overseas, and oh, he's got another century. Oh, he scored 200. It was kind of just kind of got a bit monotonous. It was like century after century after century I was recording on, on the uh, Yorkshire Club website. I'm going to ask you a, a question here. If you could trade lives with any current player for a day, you're living in their skin, and you are experiencing what it's like to be them and play like them, who would you pick to, to uh, crawl inside of and experience what it's like to be them as a cricketer for, for a day? I'm not going to say Rooty because I, I lived with him for a bit and I kind of know what it's like. Well, I wouldn't say I know what it's like to be him, but I did live with him. So I, uh, what was that I think, like? Just before you give me the answer, just tell me what it's like to live with um, Joe Root. It was good. I mean, we, we had a year. It was I think it was about 2012. So it was both when we were we were just coming into playing for Yorkshire. It might have been our second, seasons of, second season of... of um, um, being in the first team and yeah it, it was just like you'd imagine two young lads just being fortunate enough to play professional cricket um, living in a messy house um, eating a lot of unhealthy food but um, no it was it was great fun and it, it was you know we learned a lot or, or, lot from each other and you know I think he's obviously gone on to have a unbelievable career so a lot of that's down to me I think <laughs> when it came down to it then and the pizza boxes were stacking up and there was a load of washing up in the sink which one of you two went first snapped first and actually did the cleaning me always me <laughs> yeah. sure, let's get sure, back to that question I'm sure Joe would say <laughs> I'd, I'd love to have the ability to, to play like Ben Stokes I mean to to be able to bat like he does and then bowl like he does and feel like he does he's just an unbelievable cricketer and um been fortunate enough to play with him a lot and just see how how good he is and how hard he works and just thought for a day would be good would be good to be able to bowl 20 overs at near on 90 miles an hour and then smack 100 would be good from that wouldn't it sounds right to me I don't think I think you're closer to that than I am mate um, <laughs> you're in charge of world cricket for the day I'm going to put you in a, behind a big desk it's got the little name tag on the door Gary Balance Supremo yeah. what one thing would you change or introduce to make cricket better well, I wouldn't change it to four-day tests. I'd leave them at five-day tests. That's, just, that's definite what I'd start. But I think somehow preserving test match cricket would be at the front of that. I think, it's, I think you know, even what we saw over the winter with that England series in South Africa, a test matches cricket is still the pinnacle. And somehow making it as enjoyable for fans and for everyone to watch would be at the top of my list. You, you can play all formats. You, you, I've seen you smacking the ball around in, in white ball as well. From, I mean, from your experience, when, when you get the youngsters coming through at Yorkshire at the moment and you sit and have a chat with them at times, are they still talking about test cricket as being their, their goal or is it more T20 and playing in the IPL or, or different things like that? No, it's test match cricket. It's, um, I think that's 
one thing that's great about playing in England is if Test match cricket is still still number one, and all the young lads coming through, they all want to play Test match cricket. Obviously, they 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 want to play or be involved in these 2020 comps around the world. But I think as a as a as a cricketer to be judged as a cricketer, you want to play the pinnacle of the sport, and that's Test match cricket. And all the youngsters, well, Yorkshire anyway, say that, and hopefully that's you know that will continue for a long time. I think at it. I think in England we should be all right because of you know how many, how big Test cricket is over here. You get crowds everywhere you go, all around the world. We're when England are playing, so I think as long as that's happening, people will still want to play Test cricket. That's good news as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. I like Red Bull. I like White Bull. But I like Red Bull as well. Thank you very much, everybody, for listening to the Cricket Badger podcast. The listeners are going up every single week through COVID-19. Hopefully, we're giving you a little bit of entertainment to take you away from the troubles in the world. Thank you very much for listening. Loads of great guests planned for the next few weeks as well. So stay tuned to Cricket Badger podcast. Like, subscribe. Thank you so much for your support of the Cricket Badger podcast. They say all rock stars want to be sportsmen and vice versa, Gary Valance. If you could have been famous in any other field, what would you have chosen to do? To be honest, I, I really don't want to be, wouldn't want to be famous. Um, I absolutely hate it that I, the odd person would recognise me now as a cricketer. So I'd probably hate it even more if I was actor or uh, someone in a, the lead man in a band. Yeah, I'd, I'd happily just be hidden away hidden away for everything and, and not be seen by anyone else. <laughs> if you could meet anyone, living or dead, who would you like to meet and have a, have a beer with or a, a sit-down meal? Uh, probably Will Ferrell. Good choice. Uh, yeah, I've uh, been a big fan of his, his movies and I've been compared to him in, in one of his films. Uh, definitely like to, I don't, well, don't think it's ever going to happen, but it would be good to, to have, a, have, a, have a sit down and listen to him talk rubbish for an hour. Well, I'm sure he's a big fan of the Cricket Badger podcast. So if you're listening, well, at cricket underscore badger, I can put you in touch with Gary. Um, <laughs> who would play you? If they're making Gary Balance the movie, who would play you in a movie about your life? I think you maybe just answered that, haven't you? Well, I think I have, yeah. I think I have. <laughs> um, he's, um, I've been compared to one of, his, uh, uh, one of his characters, so I'm sure he'd be a perfect, perfect fit for, for me in a film. <laughs> Are you able to divulge which character it was? Have you seen the film Old School? Possibly. Frank. I've seen pretty much everything. His name's Frank. Um, I think right, people, okay. People have seen the film and um, they, they'll know the character and they can, they can <laughs> make a judgment from there. <laughs> <laughs> what is the last time you can remember feeling really nervous? The last time I had a, I played, and played a cricket match, I think, the, the, the time before I went out to bat. So that would be last September, end of September, and I didn't even end up going out to bat. I, I watched Tom Kohler, Cadmore, Mac Cahandra had my pads on for about a day. Still, even though I've played for however long, I still get nervous every time I go out to bat. Is this the longest you've been without actually hitting a ball in anger in a, on a, in a cricket match? Yeah, I think it is. Since I've yeah, since I've started playing cricket, really, it's been I guess that's that's near on six months now. That's a it's a long time. It, it really is. Does that make you more hungry for it? I mean, obviously, we've got no idea when it's going to come back cricket, but does that make you even more hungry for the start of the season, whenever that might be? Yeah, definitely. I think, you know, even now, you're walking around the house and I've got an old cricket bat here and there. I pick it up and, and shadow that in the mirror and see if I'm still moving my feet. Well, I don't move my feet anyway, but see if, see if I can still play a, play a cover drive. But I think when it does when it does come around the, the next time we, we play, there's going to be a lot of... Uh, a lot of hungry, hungry batters to score some runs, that's for sure. What is the top item on your bucket list? Things to do before you die, what will be number one? Um, to go and watch the Green Bay Packers play at Lambeau Field in America, American football. American football is something that's always passed me by. What is it about American football that gets you? Um, I'm a bit of a, a sports kind of badger, really. I love all sports and and over the last five or six years, I've got into American sports, and American football is one of them. It's athletes that, that play, and the, the, the tactics and everything that goes into the sport is, I think you, you can't compare it to any other sport in the world. And um, I've been over to see a few games, but yeah, to go watch in, in Green Bay, which 
the, the town of Green Bay holds about 80,000 people and the stadium holds 80,000 people. And it's been, it's been sold out for the last 40 years. So that will be something good to go and watch, I think. Are you a morning or a night person? A night person. Terrible morning person. I hate them. I hate them. On a scale of 1 to 10, 10 is the Fonz, the height of cool. How cool are you? I'm probably about a 5. My, my, my wife would probably say a 1 or 2, but... <laughs> That's why she married you. I'm probably a 5 or 6. <laughs> if yeah. you have access to a time machine, you can go forwards, backwards, anywhere you want to go in time. Where would you go to? I'd probably just go back to 80s and 90s. I'd, I'd love to have played cricket in, in that era. It would have been a lot different to how it is now, that's for sure. <laughs> that's a good choice. Nobody's ever done that. The, um, so you'd, you'd want to be kind of playing against the likes of Botham and Imran Khan and all that lot. Yeah, I think so. Playing against them and just to see how different professional cricket was back then to it is now. I'm going to let you live anywhere in the world. I'm going to give you a big check and you can buy a house anywhere in the world you want to, want to put it. Where are you going to place that house? Which country would you like to live in? It would be somewhere remote, probably on an island with only one house. So somewhere like in the Maldives would be great, with no people around. I think that will be perfect for me. You're basically saying you're antisocial. Yeah, something like that. <laughs> I'll tell you, that, that sounds, it sounds idyllic, to be honest. The uh, little island of your own in the Maldives with a rowing boat when you need to go and get your shopping. Yeah, exactly. If you could change one thing about yourself, what would you change? Be foster between the wickets. <laughs> So a bit of you saying bolt in you. There's <laughs> some other things, but I'll, I'll, I'll say, yeah, if, if it's a bit faster. I'm not, I'm obviously not the fastest. And yeah, being, being slow is not fun, especially when you're in a group of young lads who are, who are all quick. So I, I, I'd like to be a bit quicker. We're getting down to the end of the, uh, the 20 questions here. And we've yeah. got two left. Um, thank you very much for your time today, Gary Balance. Um, what will you be doing in 10 years' time? That mean, that mean you're 40. Do you reckon you can, you can hang on that one? Hopefully not still in uh, self-isolation and lockdown. I mean, it would be great if I'm still playing by then, but another 10 years, you know, especially when I feel like I've played a lot of cricket anyway, would be a, would be a good effort. So I'd like to, to be a batting coach somewhere around the world. I'd be very happy doing. I think it's something that I've, I would like to do when I retire. And I think by the time I'm 40, I could be retired a few years then. So I'd love to be, you know, be a batting coach for, a, for some team anywhere in the world, but that's definitely something that I'd like to do in the future. Have you um, spoken to uh, Dave Houghton about that? Have you picked his brains about what what that would be like? No, I haven't actually yet. I've kind of only started getting into it recently or thinking about doing it recently. So when I do kind of commit to it, then I'll I'll definitely get hold of him, definitely have a sit down with him because he's one of the the best batting coaches going around. I remember speaking to him out on one of the pre-season trips once. He, uh, I think I did a little piece with him about you, actually. Um, and he's a, he's a cracking bloke, and his knowledge about cricket is, uh, is, is excellent. And he also speaks very highly of you, too. Yeah, he is. He's, he, he really is very knowledgeable. And he's, he's quite old school, a little bit old school, I guess, when it comes to not just batting, but all, all aspects of, of cricket. He's very knowledgeable, and um, he's, done a, he's been a great coach for, for a lot of counties. The last question... And this is one that some people struggle with. If you'd been picking these questions today, you'd been interviewing yourself, what would you have asked yourself to get a great and exclusive answer? What was it like growing up in Zimbabwe? I have touched on it a little bit, but I think being fortunate enough to grow up in, in that country is something that a lot of people don't understand. And yeah, it is a, it's a killer question there. Good, a good question. Presumably you mean in, in a good way, growing up in Zimbabwe, was it? Oh, yes. Yes, absolutely, yeah. in a good way. I think we're fortunate, like I've said, to, to grow up in a, on a farm with so much open space and, and, you know, being able to play cricket, tennis and squash and football in the, in the back garden was just, was just brilliant. And it, it really was something that me and my brothers appreciate. And, and yeah, it was, it was obviously there's a lot of troubles that have come in the last few years and towards the back end of just before I moved over. A lot of problems and we, we lost our farm and our house actually but yeah growing up as a child there's it's one of the best places i think to grow up so you, you were basically that was it the land reclamation stuff that mugabe was doing you were one of the victims of that when they took you took the farm off you yeah yeah so our family was one of that it actually happened just just after i moved over to england yeah one day about 20 people turned up at, at our house with my parents and the, my brothers in the house with axes and you name it uh, threatening to kind of 
your family and said, if you don't leave the house, we will. I wasn't there, but like I said, my brothers and my parents were there. And luckily my, my dad negotiated to have two weeks before they could literally have everything. And they, in the two weeks, my dad got my family out, got, got them out of the, out of the farm and, and yeah, just had to leave. And I actually went back there for the first time over, over New Year's time. And I, I saw, I drove past the, the farm and the house and it's, yeah, it was a quite a, emotional time I guess but it was yeah it was pretty dangerous during that period of I think it was about 2006 it was quite dangerous back then but yeah I don't want to but actual growing up there and and the country itself it really is an amazing country. Wow that was a killer question that you gave yourself because that was a a a (laughs) multi-leveled answer I mean I've been to Zimbabwe and it's a beautiful country as well some parts of Zimbabwe are absolutely magnificent aren't they? Yeah no they are they are they're red some you know, Victoria Falls, Lake Kariba, some of the, the best places people would ever be able to visit. So it's had its problems, but I don't think it gets enough good media attention anyway. It gets all the negative stuff, but it is actually one of the most beautiful places around. Mate, it's been absolutely fantastic having you on the Cricket Badger podcast. Hopefully listeners don't think it's been a Gary Balance loving. I think I, I asked you the tough questions too. <laughs> Not really, James. I think you're a bit nice. <laughs> I'll get you back on again and I'll ask you all the nasty ones then just to, just to pay you back but thank, yeah. thank you for joining me and uh, I hope you and uh, hope you and the missus and all the family stay safe and yeah hopefully we'll be out of lockdown and watching you playing again soon yeah hopefully thanks a lot James thanks for having me it's that Badger style Thank you very much indeed to Gary for spending his time with me on the Cricket Budget Podcast during this edition. As we said prior to pressing record or just after we finished the chat, there's not a lot else to do at the moment. So I think he was actually quite pleased to give me an hour of his time, give himself something to do, because I think a lot of people are going a little bit stir crazy at the moment. I hope you enjoyed the chat I had with Gary. Plenty more to come as well in the next edition of the Cricket Badger Podcast. I'm talking to Thomas Bloat. He's written a really good book, The Honorary Tyke. And it chronicles Sachin Tendulkar's time with Yorkshire in 1992 and the impact that opening the doors to overseas players had on the Headingley Club. That'll be out in a a few days' time. I've got plenty of other editions planned as well in the pipeline and about to be recorded and set up as well. So keep tuned to at cricket underscore budget. You'll see the podcast coming out there. Either that or subscribe on the various platforms that you listen to the Cricket Badger podcast on. Subscribe, like it, add a nice comment too. It all helps to try and further the Cricket Badger podcast's cause and keeps us in the ears of various people around the cricket world. Thanks for listening, everybody out there. Stay safe, look after each other, and I'll see you next time on the Cricket Badger podcast. Podcast Network. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.